Predation. These will be subject to de-emphasis. These will be subject to de-evolution. New evolutionary paradigm will give us the human traits of truth, of loyalty, of justice, of freedom. These will be manifestations of the new evolution. And that is what we would hope to see from this. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Esoteric Negro. In 2008, I was obsessed with several African-American female bloggers who were blogging about their experiences in Europe and abroad. There was Kiki in Switzerland. There was My So-Called Life in France. Our guest today had a blog called Adventures in Negroshire. Her name is Dr. Peggy Brunache. And... You know, I started thinking during quarantine what had happened to all these women. Some of them had stopped blogging and I, you know, went on a search to see what they were up to now. And Dr. Peggy was really kind enough to sit down with me and, and discuss her POV of living abroad. And, and we know that several of our literary heroes like James Baldwin have often expressed fondness about being a Black person in uh, Europe, whether it's France or other countries where it feels different to be a, be a person of color. And uh, it was a great conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you once again, and now please welcome Dr. Peggy Brunash. So if you want to tell us a little about yourself, like your own personal bio, that would be great. Okay. So my name is Dr. Peggy Brunash, and I'm a professor of Atlantic slavery. I'm also a historical archaeologist. I'm also a culinary consultant. And I'm currently the director of the Beniba Center for Slavery Studies, which is the first institution of its kind in Scotland. Oh, wow. What was the first step in the direction for you coming to Scotland? Let's see. I was finishing up my Ph.D. University of Texas at Austin. Mm-hmm. And I was at that point in my life where I was not happy with the dating scene I was ready to just marry myself and just throw myself into work and let it be, be what it is. But as I was finishing up, I met this Scottish man and listen, I was not, I was not ready for that. I did not know how to prepare myself for uh, a man who's like, yo, let's do this. And he meant it. And I was at the right point where I just need to write my dissertation. So the dating process moved very fast. You know, I'm older. He was older. And he's like, I want this. I want you. You coming or am I moving there? And it was pretty simple. It just made sense that he was already established in Scotland. So I moved over there and said, I just finished my dissertation. I'll fly back to the States when it's time to defend it and, and then see where the chips lay. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you, about what it was like being an African-American woman that's educated, trying to date, especially during that time period, especially in Austin. I mean, I'm from Houston, so I'm interested to know what, what that's like. You can go ahead and riff and, and, and be, oh, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> it was a hot mess trying to date for several different reasons. There were situations where trying to date some African-American men or, or, or some black men, because, you know, I, I can't go off on black men and be like, they didn't want me and da, 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 da. That, it just, I did not find the right person who happened to be black for me at that time. 
And so the majority of the dating I was doing was really, it was just foolishness. I was just getting in and getting out. Wasn't thinking twice because when I did try to put my heart out there, unfortunately in the circles that I happened to run in, the well-educated man was not looking for someone that had my phenotype. I was a little too dark, a little too much chocolate for them. Or if it wasn't a question of how dark I was, it was the fact that I had a PhD or was almost about to have a PhD. It was, there was always something. Or if it wasn't the PhD, if it wasn't that I was too dark, it was just, I was too quirky. <laughs> my interests were mm-hmm. just too quirky. I do this archaeology thing. It, it was always something. So mm-hmm. the combination never worked out. In terms of dating men outside of of being black, again, it was foolishness for a whole different other reason. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, I tend to give off the vibe that says, I'm not here for mess, so don't even try it. Just keep it moving. So I mm-hmm. don't even attract those kinds of white men. Dating black men was also hard. It was It was hard. And I didn't realize that I was being eaten up with anger of being mm. single it was angry. And the thing is, is that what made it also strange for me, right? Because everybody's got a different story and different experiences. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the combination of being highly educated, being quirky, not just being dark skinned, but having the features that it, the way I'm, my face's range was just too African looking for some, for some people, just too African looking. Mm-hmm. And actually I'm not African American, I'm Haitian American. So a significant portion of my time I was trying to see, well, maybe I, I just need to find another Caribbean man. That, that was an issue mm-hmm. too. So whatever, mm-hmm. it just didn't work out. By the time I met the, the man that I would end up marrying I literally did not see this as a potential for relationship. It was just that he was coming through for South by Southwest. Normally, University of Texas folk get out. (laughs) We go away. We get away. But there were some odd situations that occurred that pushed us together. Had my, my mother had just passed away and my armor was so strong I wouldn't have been able to see the man that he is had it not been for my mother's passing and me being vulnerable at the time. Mm. Had he even contacted me one month before, two weeks before my mom had passed, I couldn't have seen him. I wasn't ready. I, I was so angry at the inability to find someone that understood me and wanted to be with me at the same time. And that's what happened. I was going to say, and you can expand on this a little bit now that we get into the nitty gritty. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Janet McDonald said in the episode, and this is kind of like a little, my like a little tribute to her because she's passed on in the American in Paris episode of this American life. She says that she didn't even fit into the stereotypical black debutante, right? Academic. Right. The the, you know, the Sigma Theta, like I, I have a feeling that you didn't either. And we're both no. quirky, like we all that other within another. Yes. In another. Yes. 
that Russian doll thing that I talk about. And so, so she didn't really fit in either. And that's part of the reason why she, part of the reason why she left as a single woman too, and frustrated with those aspects of dating and why it's so hard to find. Mm -hmm. It seems like the more black women succeed, the harder it is for us in our personal lives. For for a lot of us, but at the same time, I've also seen black women find wonderful black men. Yeah. I wasn't that lucky. <laughs> exactly. I, just wasn't, yeah. I wasn't that lucky for ABCD reasons, right? I would never say that I never met black men that wanted me. That wasn't, that, that would be a lie. Mm-hmm. But what I was looking for didn't match up with what they were looking for. And so when I saw one I wanted, nah, I wasn't his type. And mm-hmm. what someone wanted in me, there's no way I was going to stop being me. Mm-hmm. I was not right to fit that mold. I would not belittle myself, make myself smaller, minimize myself for them to fit a mold that they wanted. And mm-hmm. and I think part of that had to do with my quirkiness that I've I'd always been very quirky. And so, you know, before these, these wonderful programs, thank goodness they're out, you know, like awkward black woman, right. Black girl and whatnot. You know, there were a lot of us that have been living that life alone with no template to follow. And I would find a bit more acceptance in Europe in certain ways. But then the flip side was that, I miss my people. Mm. Right. So there's, so there was always a, a, a negative and a positive being in the States and being with my people was wonderful or being in the Caribbean with my people was wonderful. But a lot of times they didn't get me in terms of dating, but then mm-hmm. I would go to Europe and they were like, nah, girl, you beautiful. We want this. Mm-hmm. But, I st- but I miss my people at the same yeah. time. I miss my culture. So tell me about your first impressions, like when you get to Scotland and you're there for the first time, you're, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, the first time it tells you your first impressions and what it was like as you and as a black woman and your body and how that, the things that you noticed right off the bat. Going to Scotland as a tourist is very different than living in Scotland as a resident. So coming here as a tourist, it was like, it, it was the, the, false narrative of we don't see color right Mm -hmm. because racism is 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 performed in a very different way in some places particularly in scotland when you're not necessarily in urban environments right you know you know how things go in places like london no question you're like oh i know this we got this Mm -hmm. in the states in Scotland, it's performed a little bit differently, especially when you're not in, in, in the urban settings of Glasgow or even Edinburgh. Scotland has a very small black population. When I first went was in the summer of 2006. So everything was new. And it's like, oh, my God, people really run around in kilts. Holy cow. Oh, it's really <laughs> like this. And, and wrapping my head around their English was also it, it was it was just getting used to people saying I all the time and I'm thinking they're gonna say I went no 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 they're mm-hmm. saying I as in yes I mm-hmm. just whole different words so initially it was just wonderful and fun and an adventure it was an adventure but when you come to live here every day in and out then it became something else 
then I felt like I was in a vacuum of my own without my people. And thankfully, my husband was very aware of that need to connect with other Black people. When he and I decided we were going to be together for real, we did the hard talks like, okay, were we on politics? Mm -hmm. Were we on Black and white? You do know that if we have children, your child will be seen as Black and not as a biracial, whatever you guys think you want to say, that child will be read as not white, first and foremost. How are you going to be able to protect him? Are you going to be able to understand his struggle? Do I have to do everything for him in that case? And, you know, all these things. And are you going to be down for defending him against every racist out there until he's old enough to do it for himself? And my husband was like, yes, 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 anytime, sure. Yeah. So that part was easy. But the problem was that we weren't living in Glasgow. We weren't living in Edinburgh. We were living in a much smaller town. It's Perth, right? Most people know of Perth, Australia. Yes, <laughs> the other Perth, yeah. This is the original Perth. You know, 800 years, this town's been around 800 years. It's small and my goodness. <laughs> yeah, racism came quick. Oh, wow. But at the same time, it was different. And class plays, at least around here, plays higher than race in many ways. And, and what I mean by that is you could see me as black and want to say something. The moment you hear I have a doctor in front of my name, people step back. Mm. They step back. They 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 will they place in many cases a higher priority on your class. Mm. They'll also place you as outside what they usually think about black people because you're not from Britain. So it's mm. like, oh, but you're but you're from America, so that's different. Oh, is it? So all those things are a currency, essentially. Your education becomes a currency. Absolutely. Your Americanness becomes mm -hmm. currency, right. What also helps is that in Scotland, they do have laws about racist language. So I literally have said, say the N-word again and see what happens. I'll go straight to the police station and file a report. People jump back. Wow. Well, that must be nice. It I is. needed some of that <laughs> That only happens to a certain degree, more so with adults. But kids don't care. Oh, yeah. That doesn't mean anything. And my son did not get to the age of four without being called the N-word. Hmm. And why was he called the N-word? Just because it was something to do. Because that's what the soccer players, the white soccer players call the black soccer players. They see that kind of action, that racism, and, oh, look, there's actually someone black in this town that I walk past. Let me see what happens if I say it. So mm -hmm. they'll throw that around. So my son is having to negotiate what does he stand up for, what does he fight against. And so when kids are little and then you, you, know, you catch them doing that, then they go, sorry, I'm sorry. But now that you know, by the time they get into their early teens, then they know what to say when there isn't an adult around. They know how to be covert about it. They efficient. Yeah. Right. And that's what's going on. So my time. So since moving here, it was compounded, not just by my race, 
in the fact that there were so few to no one at that point in time, but also by the fact that in this area of Scotland, people are not friendly. They are extraordinarily polite, but they are not friendly. It's that small town concentrated notion of if I wasn't born having the same breast milk as this fool, I don't want, I want nothing to do with you. Like they right. really are only interested knowing the same people they've known since they were four. Yes. So there's that. Now, going to a place like Glasgow, it's a very different experience for me. I have black friends there, but even their experiences of blackness is radically different than mine mm-hmm. because their blackness is, there's, there's the class element, but there's also the fact that they're African and not Caribbean. Mm. And so one of, the, one of the craziest experiences I had was when my, my girlfriends took me to you know, a black nightclub in Glasgow and black people weren't mixing. Afrobeat would come on, all the Africans would hit the dance floor and all the Caribbean folk were kind of pushed aside. And, you know, they kind of, you know, the Caribbean folks would kind of bop their heads, whatever but they let the Africans do their thing. And then like dance hall would come on and then the room would shift again. <laughs> it was so weird. And they weren't interacting. And I was like, whoa, what, what is this? Right. So that was a shock to, to, to see. And then it took some time of learning that there, there is a history of difference between African Brits and Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean Brits. And mm-hmm. they don't always get along. Yeah. And I, I never even would have thought about that. I thought they would get along and then the American, you know, no. let's be Americans would be a whole nother annoyance, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's, yeah. Actually, no, no, not at all. So it's related to how and why those groups came to Britain. In the you know late 50s, you had Caribbean folk coming into Britain at the request of the British government to help them rebuild the infrastructure of the country after World War II. Because like Britain got t- just torn up. Demolished, yeah. Torn up. And they also didn't have all the money coming in from their ex-colonies because mm-hmm. everybody bounced. They were like, India was like, nope, we're going to be free. A lot of Caribbean islands were like, nope, we want our independence. So they didn't have that money coming in. So they needed an entire group of people to come in and help build the infrastructure. So these people were coming, these Caribbean people were coming in. The first was, and this is part of the Windrush generation. They came in, they came in as nurses, they came in as bus drivers, just people to build the infrastructure. But they got hit with all kinds of racism, still getting hit with all kinds of racism. Many of the first Africans to come in were coming in as students, university students, mm. right? So that's, that's not the same as the bus drivers and mm-hmm. you know people cleaning the streets and things like that. They're coming in as engineers, engineering students, medical students to be doctors, not nurses, things like that. So there's a little bit of a class thing going on with that too. Mm-hmm. And in many places like London, it, it's you don't see it as much, but you'll hear the jokes. You'll hear the jokes mm-hmm. about, dang, and my son had to go off and marry a Jamaican too. Oh, no. Oh, no, he didn't. No. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. So there is that dynamic. And as an outsider, as an American, I don't fit in either one. 
So it doesn't matter. They love to brag about the food, don't they, though? The Indian food and the Jamaican food in, in London and those places. They love to brag about the fact they have some of the best. Well, and I was like, I have the nerve to be upset. <laughs> I mean, it, it does make sense that when you don't have you don't have an environment that produces a wide variety of vegetables and fruits and spices. Mm -hmm. They just had to go and colonize the rest of the world to get it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I was going to, so now I guess we can talk about your blog adventures in Negro Shire and Mm. what made you want to start blogging. Were you initially a part of that network of, of black women that were, abroad and blogging did y'all did you guys all know each other or just like yeah I was just in my own little world because I I was the only negro around and then of course did you know this wouldn't have been the same experience had I as I said been living in a more urban environment like Glasgow where there is it's a small it's a small number of of black people and you know even now we're not even talking one percent of the Scottish population is black not even Right. It's, it's less so there's like five of y'all and y'all know each other. <laughs> right. So, well, it is growing. It start, it's finally mm-hmm. starting to grow. I've now gotten mm-hmm. to the point where le- even living in Perth, I'm like, OK, uh, apparently a new black family just rolled up in here. Um, <laughs> um, OK. All right. Oh, and that's the other weird thing that always strikes strikes African-Americans and, and or black Americans as peculiar. You know how we're used to, you know, passing another black person in the street. You kind of give them the, like, what's up, black person? Mm-hmm. I see you. Mm-hmm. I see you. You see me? I see you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen here. What? Doesn't that you happen. don't acknowledge each other. <laughs> oh, it's like, like you, you don't feel the need to nod to, you know, a, a Latinx person or a white person. That's mm-hmm. just how a lot of black people, they don't nod to you. So when I get the nod, I know they're from the States. Um, so yeah, um, I learned to stop doing that real early. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in terms of blogging, it was an outlet for the peculiarities that I was experiencing. Because again, I wasn't living in the city like Glasgow or Edinburgh. And <laughs> my husband is from the Highlands. The Highlands are the, the mountainous rural part of Scotland where you will see more people in all about sheep, farmland, hunting deer, going on and on about the farmer in the valley. Oh, just kills me. The most recent thing I've been hearing about Scotland is because I went through season four of The Crown and Balmoral. <laughs> see, that's, right? That's not even the Highlands though. Not Is really. It? No, not mm-hmm. really. No. And that's money, right? So mm-hmm. in the Highlands, there's the land of the gentry, the people who own those Balmoral kind of estates, mm-hmm. and then everybody else who works on them or around them. Mm-hmm. And my husband's family worked on them or around them. Like they cleaned the houses yeah. and things like that. So my husband came from really meager beginnings and i always tease mm-hmm. them like really you just played with rocks and fish much of the time <laughs> growing up and there's no comment there's no there's no pushback because that's mm-hmm. pretty much what happened he really, yeah he was he's country 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 and his his parents still still live up there so whenever we drive up to to visit them you know pre-covid 
<laughs> drive up to visit there and we go through the the little tourist town before we get to how out there they live. They know who we are. They see that 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 interracial couple with the kid in the back. Mm-hmm. They they're like, oh, that's Margaret Shearer's. Because there are no black people up there at all. At all. So when mm-hmm. we had our wedding up there, it was uh a spectacular event. And again, because of the weird racial dynamics, nobody felt in danger. No one black mm-hmm. that came. And I had black people coming from all over the earth, from the States, from the Caribbean, from Brazil, mm-hmm. from, from China, all over. And everybody felt safe. Mm-hmm. walking down this little road where there's none but sheep, everyone felt safe. Because it just wasn't mm-hmm. that kind of, it wasn't a dangerous, openly racist society up there. That's not to say that people may not have thought that. They just know to mm-hmm. keep their mouth shut. Right. And it's not like the South where you have to worry about, oh, it's, it's rural out here. Maybe I need to be out of here by a certain time. In certain parts mm-hmm. of Texas, it's still like that. Certain parts of the South, it's still like that. You know, where you're like, mm, this town looks kind of, Yeah. Yeah. You never have to worry about that. And because there's nobody black, then even if there's not, even if you're not dealing with racism, there's still an educational process that you got to go through with some folks. Mm -hmm. Like I had to break some people out of the habit of saying, so Peggy, as a colored person, I'm like, Ooh, no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't say that. We don't say that anymore. You may say as a person of color, not a colored person and to them it's like what how is that what's the difference there have been some unfortunate experiences but again my husband has always backed me up on it there was an an experience that did happen when it was the anniversary of uh the birmingham bombings back in the 60s you know when those Mm -hmm. little girls were killed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i was you know i make sure i'm teaching my son the reality of being a non-white person in this world. And I was telling him about this and he was quite young and I was telling him about the bombing and it was during dinner with in mixed company and he was, it really upset him. Of course it would. Mm -hmm. It's still upsetting. Mm -hmm. You know, that trauma, we, we've inherited that trauma as black people. And he was like, but why? I just, why? And I said, because they're black, baby, they're, they're black. And some people don't like that. And of course, it takes someone with white privilege to actually cut in and say, I don't think that's proper dinner time discussion. And I said, and when is it the right time? You know, mm-hmm. trying not to mm-hmm. get that bass, that bass in your voice when you just want to rip somebody's head off. But there are people who have that ignorance and privilege to say, well, maybe, maybe, you know, they didn't know that it was going to get bombed. Now, I'm in living, I'm, I've moved to a new country. I'm not going to try to tell you about your history. I'm going to just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. You tell me about your history. So I would have expected that same respect. Right. We're not talking about drones flying in. Yes. We know the history of segregated South. And that you had to walk in and put them bombs in that church. Yeah. It's, I mean, it can get more deliberate than that. 
So I don't know <laughs> what they were thinking. Oh. It's just so unfathomable to them that someone would, you know, try to bomb a church and kill innocent people for no reason. Yeah. So unfathomable because their life is so privileged that they've never had to experience anything like that of their lifetime or their ancestors' lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had a, a gentleman in a on a clubhouse chat. I don't know if you you guys have clubhouse yet. I think that he's from Ireland. He was talking about trying to compare the the troubles to what's happening now. And I'm like, well, it's not a not the same thing. You know, you always have other groups trying to compare different types of oppression. And I was like, it's it's it. it I'm sure you know what was happening in Belfast, and you know, and it, it was bad, but it's not the same thing as what was happening in the South. You not know, in the same. See, it, 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 it depends on when you're thinking about it. For, for the American South, you know, there's that duration, that whole, mm-hmm. you know, slavery and everything that came after slavery. Mm-hmm. But let's be clear, what was going on in Belfast and even in the, in the UK and various parts, you, yeah. don't want, you don't want that. No. You, know, no. You're, you have none. You're just minding your own business. And then all of a sudden the place you're in explodes. Blows up. Yeah. So... Uh, it it was not a pleasant experience for them to say the least, but it is quite different. I I would not want to try to say, well, our misery, our trauma is worse than yours. It's yeah. here nor there, but I understand what you're saying that. So you were, your blog was really interesting. And I think at the time, if I remember this correctly, you were talking about, you were just getting into the academic or you had, you just started working at the university or you were trying to do immigration I was trying to do Towards everything. Towards the end, trying to do everything, trying to get, you know, it seemed like you had a lot of lot going on. So uh, immigration was hard, and, and it was hard then. It's 10 times harder now, actually. Much, much harder now. They will, they will bleed you dry financially. I did do the, the proper procedure, which is I came over on a fiancé visa, and then... And, and that would have expired at a certain point, which I had to be married before then, got married before then, then applied for the, the spouse visa, but that only lasts for a certain amount of time before you have to apply for something else like citizenship or a permanent residency or work visa, something. All those visas required loads of documentation and several thousand dollars. And the U.S. does this too. Like you need to be able to prove that you have enough money to live here, so that you aren't mm-hmm. going to be expecting the government to support you. So my little experience, right, doing all this, right before applying for residency or getting permanent residency, I was still on a visa, and it it requires so much money, and I wasn't. You know, I didn't have a, a, a permanent full-time job of a high salary that I could have that much saved, you know, in a savings account ready when it's time. You know how it goes, like, oh, car issues, mm-hmm. refrigerator died or something happened and you got to dip into your funds. And so I had to fly back to the States for my cousin's wedding in Florida and had the money. So I had the money before then had the money ended up having money after then. But there's this one week window where you have to reapply. And if you, as it turns out, you lapse even a day, 
even a day, you have to leave the UK and start from scratch back in the US. Wow. And so when I came back to the UK, they're like, this, this visa's expired. And I said, but I'm in the process of applying. They're like, but it's not here. So you can't stay here. And I was like, but my family are literally waiting for me on the other side of the door. It was a nightmare experience. Mm. They held me up for hours. My son was very young. He ended up having nightmares about it because what they basically did was treat me like a criminal. They allowed me to, they finally allowed me to come back. They re, they let me leave the airport on the condition that within 24 hours, I would fly back to the U.S. on my dime. International flight at the last second. And all your stuff was, everything you had was in Scotland, everything, you know, your life. My husband, my job, my son. And I had to leave the country to reapply. Now, this is coming up on Christmas time, and you know how things work in the U.S. You know, once we get past mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, eh, mm-hmm. things slow down. You know, uh, paperwork mm-hmm. can wait till January. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being, and thankfully, you know, I had my family to go to, my cousins and whatnot, but the idea of being separated from my, my child who was two years old, my son, two years old. And being stuck in the U.S. for weeks, what could be months, over Christmas was horrible. But mm-hmm. thankfully, um, I was able to, I had some connections and I owe them my life. They, they sped up the process and I was able to be home within three weeks. That's amazing. That's a miracle. It was a miracle. Yeah. It was a miracle. miracle. Otherwise, I would have been there. I would have been stuck in the States for a month. Um, month. And my son ended up having a lot of nightmares because of it. Now, what was also funny was that everyone kept saying, what do you mean they tossed you out of the country? You have a job. You're not on the dole. You know, I'm not, I'm not on welfare. You're, you're actually teaching. You're contributing to the education mm-hmm. of the future of Britain. And I was like, I know. They mm-hmm. didn't care. I didn't care. And do you think that, well, now here's the question I, you know, I'm going to ask you, do you think it would have been that way if you were a white woman? Yeah. Same thing. You don't yeah. think there's anybody, they just, you just think it's like an immigration thing it was across the board. This is affecting a lot of people. Mm. It's affecting a lot of people now. It's much harder mm-hmm. now. Wow. So, yeah. So after that, Oh, yeah, because, you know what? I definitely know that it wasn't a race thing because there was an actor that we needed to hire, that my husband's company needed to hire for a show, also American, and like it was in the papers and everything. They were going to boot him out because of oh. a little technicality too. There's a white man, white man from the states. So what do they get? What do they get? You know, sometimes these government. I'm wondering what what do they get out of being so difficult with this bureaucracy like what they don't what exactly are they gatekeeping when people are actually contributing that's what that's what i don't understand with you know that's a good i can't answer that question (laughs) i'm just thinking about it right when we both know that there are plenty of people who 
even now are are undocumented right and and at least for at least the undocumented ones cases that I've seen they're still working people are working they're not trying to live off the government but mm-hmm. I don't know I, it never made sense to me. So after that, I pretty much made sure all my T's were crossed and I's were dotted. I did eventually apply for a residency and, and got it. So I now can come and go as I please, you know, within limitations, because I'm never supposed to be out of the country for more than a certain amount of months anyway. But mm-hmm. when I'm asked, will I apply for citizenship? I'm still too angry. That happened, you know, mm-hmm. now... Uh, 12 years ago, I'm still angry. No, I'm not applying for citizenship mm-hmm. yet. Not at all. Yeah. Oh, when, when all that happened, that seems like when the blog stopped. Okay, so I'll tell you exactly why the blog stopped. There was, there was a specific incident that happened. I was, you know, my son, love him to death, but that boy never slept. He never slept. Truly crazy. Never slept. <laughs> But, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to be a mother, trying to do work at the same time and, and deal with students. And it was really difficult. And so I just happened to be on the blog. You know, it's my personal place to to vent the way you would to a friend. That does not mean mm-hmm. you don't lo- like you could be venting about your your parents or your sibling. That doesn't mean you don't love them. You're just like, just let me get this out because they were driving me crazy today. And that's right. what I was saying about the child. And someone commented, it was your choice to open your legs and get pregnant like that. So you need to just suck it up. I was blown away by that response from a total stranger. Hmm. And, you know, and now, like, now we, we have a term, you know, we, we call it trolling. trolling. And yeah, but back then right. there, was- there was no term for it. And I was so taken aback that that was it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to share my experiences if people are going to come at me and I can't see them to punch them in the face. (laughs) Because sometimes they'll make you want to do that too. Right. Like, Like, okay, let me find you show up. Right. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that's what you have to say to me. Why don't we meet at so and such of a time on so and such of a street? Say that to my face. Right. We, but people don't write. So that's why I have since then learned to, I don't engage in, in fights online. That's not my mm-hmm. thing. Right. Cause if we can't take care of it in person, the way I know I can take care of it, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage right. with you like that on online. I'm from Miami. Definitely. We just, you know, oh, I'm well, yeah, I know you. I know you with it. <laughs> I'm three oh five. Bring it. And you're Haitian too, so that's the double. It. Haitian people don't play. Bring at it. All. So you know, since since I can't do that, since you know people don't want to say that stuff to your face, mm-hmm. I I don't engage with negativity like that because I don't. I know it's naive. And overly simple, but I don't go out of my way to engage and promote negativity to strangers. I expect it not to happen to me. That's silly. Because people just, they spend their days just looking to start trouble that I don't know why. 
that was, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. The lesser reason was that it was really hard to teaching at a university and trying to, <laughs> trying to deal with my son who didn't sleep for the first four years that I just let it just time passed and, and I stepped away and it didn't seem, there seemed to be no reason to bring it back. I wasn't looking for validation or I wasn't looking for hits, likes, anything like you that. A new person in a new place without any people, really anybody to, is new territory, right? Yeah. 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 That is what I was thinking. And I, yeah, what struck me, I, I would like go back to say, well, I hope she's okay. And then I fa- eventually found you on uh, the Twitter, on Twitter. And um, I, during that time, personally, I was, you know, in Austin, just left Austin. Mm. I'd moved back in with my grandfather just passed away and I'd moved back into my grandmother, kind of look out for her. She's still here at 97 years old. And so, <laughs> but my whole life was like, at one point, I was living vicariously through a lot of your experiences and some oh, other wow. ladies' experiences and at home, because I was at home with her, mm-hmm. home school, taking care of her. And my my mom told me, like, maybe this has been six years ago. She was like, you know, she could outlive us. So you're just sitting here watching. <laughs> she could outlive us here. You know, you're just sitting here. You could be Literally. going wherever you want to go. So I think that there is something really important about hearing the experiences of other people especially black women because i guess we we don't really we're traveling now like the times have changed for us to step out into new territory and then you know you were definitely one of the uh, you were part of a little bit of a pioneering group thank you it it is interesting again i i've always been a little different (laughs) Mm -hmm. always have been but i've always been one who marches to my own beat and i don't care what anybody thinks you're not paying my bills you're not my mama. You're not taking care of me. I'm a live for me. Um, that was something that I've just always had in my head. But I will tell you that I did get some pushback, even from friends, I suppose it was well-meaning, could not believe that I was not only moving out of the country, but I was going to like one of the whitest places they'd ever heard of, Scotland. Mm-hmm. And... You know, they, I, I suppose they were trying, not shame me, they were, it's, it's not something most people can do to leave everything and everyone they know mm-hmm. behind, to take a chance on love. And mm-hmm. we all know you could have grown up with somebody all your life, been high school sweethearts, and then that marriage mm-hmm. ends within 10 years. Yeah. And here I met this man, and then within a year, Right. We're apart most of the time. But within a year, I'm moving to Scotland. And you know what? We've been going strong. You know, we met in 2005 and we're still going strong. I have never been one to be afraid of trying something new. Yeah. And and I learned that because I saw my parents live in fear. Mm. Which is strange because for them to have left Haiti when they did at, you know, in the 60s and moved to a foreign country to start a whole new life, you know, that's crazy as well. But at some point, I saw my father retreat inward 
and be afraid of everything. Never want to leave the house ever. And I just remember being very young, like, nope, I'm going to be out there. And I'm going to be afraid of everything, watching the news, scared of everything, scared somebody's going to do something. America has a real, real talent. The media in America has a real talent for making Americans, especially my mom's age group, maybe a little bit older than that, mm-hmm. afraid of everything, afraid of outsiders, afraid of everything afraid of that is everything. not American. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure some of your friends were well-meaning, but at the same time, I I just moved to LA and I have family here and they were like, Oh my God, I can't believe you yeah. moved to LA. And I was just like, well, gee, you know, how could you just, you know, just get up and go. And it, absolutely, and it's just like the world, you know, I, I, we may be, I don't know if you believe in reincarnation, we may be all reincarnated, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. So I got one, life. <laughs> that's the way I look at it. I got one life. You know, it, it is something that is not innate to many of us. This, this idea of you need to stay with family, you need to stay with your community, who's going to be out there for you. And, you know, it could have turned out to have been a disaster, but you know what? I would have came home. Hmm. Yeah, thing. exactly. I would have still came doing home. the same thing. Are they still, still, I mean, I don't know if, you know, your parents, are, your parents still, is still around, still living. No. But I mean, I'm sure that when, if they were, when you did come back, they were still doing the same thing, right? Or yeah. your cousins still doing the same thing. Right. Same routine. You know, and that's what it is. Every time I go home, it's the same. It's like time has not, not really. Not changed. Yeah, that was the not thing. It, thing. And yeah. you know, it it has, it does take a particular kind of person to move to another country that they've been to maybe once, know very little about. Mm-hmm. And have to navigate the racial dynamics Mm -hmm. because it's not to say that racism doesn't happen here. Racism is a bitch, but I can tell you this. I don't fear for my son's life. When we walk out in these streets, Mm -hmm. I don't fear for my life. You know, uh, the UK has really strict gun laws, so nobody has them. Very, very few people have them. I, I don't worry about that. And I, and like, like I've said before, there is currency, not just in me being American and me being of, of a certain class because of having a PhD. But when push comes to shove, I will, I use the, the angry black female trope to create distance as well. There is, it's quite interesting how afraid many white people can get. (laughs) <laughs> um, and my students, they, they quickly learn. I'm not here for games. You better show up, but don't show out. You show up, but don't show out. Yeah. Right. And it, and that's, it's good to have those, those tools do come in handy, um, when we need them to, yeah. uh, as far as our survival goes, I have a friend who just, I don't know if I mentioned this, uh, one of my good, good friends who travels a lot, single lives in Austin. Mm. He just, he's learning how to walk in, had COVID. Mm, And we haven't been, I haven't been out of the country since 2003. And I told him, I was like a teenager and I went to Italy and I I said, he's been out. He's always traveling. And I said, when you get better, I said, we're going to, we're going to go do something. I said, I got my passport ready this time. I'm not kidding. I'm taking the time and we're going somewhere. But what I 
didn't get a chance to say to you in case you were interested dating white europeans i found was radically different than dating white americans i mean i lived in houston so i met a lot i noticed a difference immediately you know yeah just but even and and even i've had it's been quite interesting to see the concept of beauty the aesthetic of beauty i've found with europeans much broader than with white americans right mm-hmm. yeah you look good if you look like rihanna or whitney houston you know if you you have a lighter complexion something like that but with europeans no you could be physically bigger you could have extremely dark skin wider noses natural mm-hmm. hair when i mean natural hair not the cute curly kind like the 4c mm-hmm. just the tight curls that's been quite interesting mm-hmm. to to see the acceptance and and how black women of all complexions shapes and sizes are embraced as beautiful by white men who are attracted to black women there's a knee jerk reaction to make that some kind of fetishizing and I, and I don't think it is all the time i don't it's think that's the case it's not all the time yeah it's not all the time and there's something else that i've not been able to figure out how to feel about it i have seen french men who will go on and on about the physical aesthetics of a black woman her skin is like shiny ebony and her eyes are like jewels and you know so it's it's all this it's it almost seems like it's a fetish to look at black women as this commodity or or refer to them in these different kinds of commodity but why but i've never but if a black man would say the same thing it wouldn't bother me mm. isn't that interesting so if a black man's like i love how dark your skin is and how your hair is like this and your skin is like that and the fullness of your lips but i would kind of i do give a second hesitation if i hear a white person say it because it, but we can happy I'm when black sure. men say it. We get happy <laughs> when black men say it. I mean, well, maybe honest. that's what it is. Maybe you that's know, what it is. Like, really? We can, really? Because yeah. we're so hard on each other, you know, and because of what's happened in this country and beauty standards and even not just oh, black yeah. people, people of that just look don't look fit that European beauty standards. We're just we're yeah. mean to each other. And we um, are. And, so it is weird when the Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it does, it does, yeah, it does seem like a little bit of, you know, it's always, you always give a side eye, you're like, you want to take is. the compliment, I, I, but, <laughs> but you squint a little bit, you're like, hmm, okay. like, okay. why do you just, yeah, exactly, and yeah. then in that old trope um, that the, someone was, someone, my, I was talking about this with my friend, she said a, a, a white man won't marry you, but they said that he won't marry you, but he'll sleep with you, or the white and, and I just find to be that with like, especially European folks or people from the UK, that not to be true. You know what I mean? Not I think, just the UK. They are marrying black folks all yes. over. Uh, yeah. And again, like dark skin and. They yeah. love that Amon Naomi Campbell thing, you know, which is. But, okay. So Naomi Campbell, she, even if her skin wasn't dark, her. She transcends all that. Yeah. Right. She's just <laughs> stunning. Stunning. Yeah. And that's what I mean by you don't have to be the tall, thin model mm-hmm. 
look with the with the hair dripping down your back. You mm-hmm. can you can have the wider nose, the rounder eyes, the fuller cheeks like I do. You know, I'm I'm not felt <laughs> or anything like that. But I know that my husband, not just my husband, but I know a lot of white people see me having a an aesthetic of beauty that I I've never heard people say in the U.S. about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I felt it when I I mean I was a kid. I mean I was six. I mean first time I went left the country I was was I was went to Ireland. I was mm. fourteen. And I went with this a friend's family, which probably was called with my friend's family. And it was a, it's a long story, but anyways, I was there, and I noticed immediately as a te- you know, even though I was young, like I noticed yeah. immediately there was a difference. And yeah. then when I went to Italy at sixteen, I really noticed a difference. <laughs> and I think that they're just more open about being flirtatious or whatever. When I was young, yeah. I, said, I said, you know what, I need to go back as an adult, a grown woman, as opposed yeah. to. <laughs> As yeah. opposed to, you know, a teenager at the time just going on an art vacation, right, but I knew this immediately. Okay, let me, let me, let me prepare you just one, one thing. Don't, cause I tried to tell my girlfriends before we went to Paris, took my girlfriends, my black girlfriends to Paris. I was like, look, these French men don't play. They let you know. And you're not ready for that. You're used to American men who like, maybe they're like you, maybe they don't, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Are they ever going to talk, tell their friends or family about you? The French, the French it's intense. And sure enough, my girlfriends were trying to flirt with some guy on the train and it was too much. They were like, they felt they were not molested like visually, but you know, that man took them in. He had his way with them with his and eyes. And we're not used to that. No, <laughs> no. And they were, and they were just like, Oh, Oh, oh. Oh, exactly. I was like, I told you not to play. These Frenchmen don't play. They'll let you, they will do everything to you. And you can see in their eyes what they are doing to you, what they would do horizontally if they had a chance. Exactly. So. Exactly. They openly, and we're not used to that. We're used to being, I hate to say this, we're used to being invisible in the States. Invisible uh, and never in the place of that you're sure that that's, that they want you, that they truly yeah. want you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the French, when they let the you men know. in general. In America, you know, yeah. black men too. You just never know. You're like, does he like me? Should I? Yeah, that's appreciate this so much, and I hope I get to talk to you again at some point. Let me know. I feel like you're Let a wealth of knowledge. Let me know. I would love to talk to you more. <laughs>